praise the Lord, mightiest prophet of the Lord. Amen. Now, um, beloved people, what a wonderful opportunity to come to you again. Uh, to come to you in your lunch hour, at your lunch hour. So we can have a lunch hour session of the Bible. I know for other places it might be night, like South Korea, Australia, and the others may be night, morning on the other side of the Atlantic in the U.S. and so forth. Um, I want to advance our conversation on understanding the person of the Holy Spirit. We saw in our previous lessons and uh, conversations and teachings that uh, the Lord was saying very clearly that uh, the person of the Holy Spirit is the one you cannot grieve and you cannot blaspheme. And the other thing, again, he, we saw him saying, which he said very clearly, was that uh, when the Holy Spirit is sent, was sent to the church, his role was to convict the world of sin and righteousness and the judgment that is upcoming, the judgment of God Almighty for those that do not believe. And we saw very, very importantly that that conviction is what leads to repentance when now people decide to turn their lives over to Christ Jesus the Messiah. And when they turn their lives to Christ Jesus the Messiah, then it's amazing because at that point then they are repented, they repent, they are baptized in water, and then the Holy Spirit then begins to do work in them. He takes residence in them, and he begins to do work to destroy what is sinful and to now conform their souls their repentant souls conforming them to the image, nature and kind or image and likeness of God Almighty and then in the process he seals them he seals them for eternity with Christ and then he gives them gifts also in the process and all that James, he says, 
and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters again now you see amplified saying the earth was without form and an empty waste and darkness was upon the face of the very great deep the spirit of God was moving hovering brooding over the face of the water why have I read this scripture to begin our teaching today I've read it because the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious of the three members of the Godhead he is the most mysterious, the most non-understood among the three members of the triunity of the Godhead. He is the most concealed, the most unveiled, and the most secret. He, is, he, has, not, he, is, he has not been unveiled to mankind. Some of the unveiling is happening right now because I say it as you saw the huge, white, glorious, like dove that descended on me on that January 1, the year 2009. And, of course, the dove does not eat carcasses. The dove eats only grass and grains, is humble, is innocent, has purity, is pure, is holy, is gentle, you know, all those attributes to it, to the dove, the symbolism, because like a dove, like a dove, what was not dove, that is essentially God, the Godhead himself visiting. As we saw last week, that is Jehovah Yahweh himself, Elohim. And we saw that he comes with a complete entourage of trumpet men and heavenly hosts, and that's why you see on Mount Sinai, they were not allowed to touch even the foot of the mountain. But, I am saying that the unveiling, the Holy Spirit has been most hidden, prob probably releasing his secrets only to his prophet now. Because I say, gentle, humble, innocent, purity, all the characters that go with the dove. And then, on this other side, he shows me the Spirit of the Lord coming with the cup of the wrath of God and he pours it. And then tremendous earthquakes take place in Haiti, in Chile. The nations are demolished and destroyed. In Mexico and many other places, the judgment in the Arab world, all these things take place. And they take place by the power of the Holy Spirit by the authority and the doing of the Holy Spirit, the act, the action of the Holy Spirit. So you see, it is so concealed, unless I had seen it, unless the Lord had presented that visitation to me, I would not have known. So the same dove now does that. So the Holy Spirit, now you see, I read here in Genesis 1, verse 2, and he said, this in Amplified, the Spirit of the Lord was brooding, was hovering, meaning it was moving like wind 
over the deep water at creation. He was moving like wind. And we see very clearly that the Lord Jesus himself goes a long way to describe that. But before we go to what the Lord Jesus describes, can we turn to the book of Acts chapter 2? The book of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, to build up on that introduction there. The book of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says, Again, I read Amplified here. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all assembled together in one place. When suddenly there came a sound from heaven, like when there came a sound from heaven, like the rushing wind, the rushing of a violent tempest, Amplified. The rushing, like the rushing of a violent tempest blast. And it filled the whole house in which they were sitting. If I read NIV, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled, blowing violently, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So again now, at creation it is a wind that is blowing. And then, now at Pentecost, we see the wind again come. So today I'm going to open up a little deeper on understanding the person of the Holy Spirit. But there is an important information that the Lord gives us there. And that introductory bit, I go to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 8. Again, I read Genesis, chapter 1, verse 2, and the book of Acts, chapter 1, and chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Acts 2, 1 and 2. And now I'm going to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 8. Then I'll be able to explain everything together. Now, the book of John, chapter 3, verse 8, he says, the wind blows, okay, let's start from where Jesus talks, verse 5. Jesus answered, remember this very popular conversation with Nicodemus? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Again, now you see his importance there for entry. Verse 6, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And then verse 7 says, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. Then verse 8 he says, which is what we need. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from of where or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But, but the point I wanted to bring here is that nature of the Holy Spirit, the wind, that form, that designation, that presentation of the Holy Spirit as the wind, the violent wind, as the wind that blows at creation, blowing and hovering over the waters, at Pentecost, 
severely came violent wind tempest from heaven like a wild wind and then now we see also when he's talking about salvation so you see the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation but he presents him as a wind why does he do so again like I said the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious of all the three members of the Godhead because in what we have read right away you can see that the Holy Spirit moves like wind so you cannot even tell you can't touch him you cannot touch him he just blows he flows except for me I said the person of the Holy Spirit normally sits down with me and speaks with me but I'm saying the body of Christ he blows as a wind and the wind you can only feel, but you don't know where it's going to come from. You hear it coming from your left or north. The next time it's coming from south. Next it's going. You don't know it's coming and going. When will it come? So that, that is the mystery around the Holy Spirit. That's one of the big mysteries. So the Holy Spirit is one of the most concealed members of the triunity of God, of the Trinity, of the Godhead. Because he does not even speak about himself. He does not reveal himself. He will not reveal himself. He speaks only what he hears. He only communicates what he hears. He speaks about what he hears only. He comes to reveal Christ the Messiah. But he does not reveal himself. He's very mysterious, he is quiet, but very powerful. Very, very powerful. You almost think, because he's quite powerful. He's the one who resurrected the Messiah. He's the one who brought the Messiah. And empowered him for his ministry and resurrected him, the Spirit of the Lord. Hmm? Very, very powerful, but very mysterious. In finishing this introduction, I want to read from the book of John, chapter 16, verse 13. The mystery around the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious of them all. He does not say anything about himself. He's always quiet about himself. He does not reveal. He does not say. Except in my case now when he, the person of the Holy Spirit meets me and that sits with me and speaks. So in that way you, I can get to see him. I can get to hear him and talk with him. Yeah, you see? But, but his presentation, the book of uh, John chapter 16, verse 13, this is what he says. He says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. So you see that. So he remains silent about himself. He does not speak about himself. The person of the Holy Spirit never speaks about himself. He only speaks about what he has heard. And he only comes to speak for Christ. But when he comes to talking about himself, he does not. And that's why he has remained the most mysterious of them all. Because he does not speak about, he does not reveal himself, he does not speak about himself. 
comes to reveal Christ, that's all he does. And he speaks of only what he has heard. And so today I want to look at the several designations in the Bible regarding the Holy Spirit, considering now that he does not speak about himself. So probably it's important to look at the different attributes and characters, the characteristics that the Bible has assigned to him, and see if we can get some more information about the person of the Holy Spirit. But now, it's amazing that also the multiple forms, the multiple designations that the Bible gives the person of the Holy Spirit, also makes the mystery deeper. It makes the mystery about him even deeper, beloved people. Because only he is addressed twice. Sometimes they call him it, sometimes he for masculine. So, he for human, it for, you know, like the dove, it can. And then he, you know, for, for the person of the Holy Spirit, that also becomes an enigma. It deepens the mystery. But I want you to know, as you've seen, that in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is designated as the wind, a wind, as a wind, also designated as fire, as rain, as water, as a river, as the oil, as oil, spiritually represented also as wine, as the glorious dove, and also presented as the glory of the Lord, as glory. Also as glory. So, this kind of designation does not help things at all if you set out to want to understand the person of the Holy Spirit and what he looks like. This kind of designation of the Holy Spirit in all these nine, ten, probably, nine forms. The wind, fire, river, water, rain, oil, wine, dove, the glory, you know. This does not help. It makes it deeper, even a mystery. It makes the mystery deeper. And that's why today we want to look at step by step, for as much as we can, the different forms of the Holy Spirit. And I will read, eventually I will come to Matthew chapter 3 and open up a very big conversation. Because in Matthew chapter 3, before I look at the different forms, because in Matthew chapter 3 there is a very powerful conversation, verse 11, that speaks so much also about the Holy Spirit before I look at the different forms. So Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, this is what he says. He says, Matthew three eleven. he says, and uh, Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, he says, I baptize you with 
water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, so that, that scripture, we are going to come back to it, but just in a nutshell as part of our introduction, I want to talk about that a little bit also to introduce it into the picture. Because he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, that is one form of baptism, but after I comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. Remember, at that time, the persons that untie the sandals, the persons that carry your sandals if you're on a journey, there was an office. There was a special office for that, a special office that carried the sandals. Or if you came back, he, he untied your sandals as you, as you reclined. That was the most menial job. That was the least job in society. That was the least job. So you understand now the expression that was being made here by John the Baptist. He was saying the Messiah is too high. I'm not even fit to be the least slave of the Messiah that will untie the, 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 the shoes, huh? untie his sandals, the buckles. I'm not fit, because the, the, that was the least position, the least, the, the least, the most despised office, the lowest office ever in the land, the rock bottom. But he's saying, he's so mighty, he's using this to express the might of the Messiah. This is very powerful. He's using this to express the glory of the Messiah, the power of the Messiah, the kingliness, the loftiness, how high, how exalted the Messiah is. He said, I'm not even fit to touch his sandals, his feet, his shoes. And so, and then the other thing he raises there is that he, he, Jesus, you remember the Lord Jesus untied their sandals and washed their feet at the Last Supper. So he raises a very important uh, paradigm there. The Lord raises a very powerful teaching there and unveiling there. I just wanted to bring that into picture as we begin this sermon today. The Lord presents now the fact that it is least, the least job you can do in society is to untie sandals or carry someone's sandals on a journey. That was the, 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 the smallest office in the land. And he says, no, the loftiness of the Messiah is said that I'm not fit. Very powerful, the exaltation of the Messiah here, the King of Glory. And then, now when you look back later in ministry, you see that the Messiah unties the sandals of the disciples and washes their feet. Can you see how he came in servant leadership? He came as a servant. He takes the lowest office in the land. But even beyond that, beloved people, as we begin this sermon today, you see that I baptize you with water for repentance. That is one baptism with water. And after me, but after, after me will come one who is more powerful, loftier, greater, mightier than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's the second baptism. And with fire. That's the third baptism. 
three baptisms here. One is the baptism of water. But the other two, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire. And then if you read further on, it throws now the whole paradox, the whole thing into a complex. Uh, because it says, if you read 12, it says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and you clear his threshing flour, gathering all the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, he repeats fire there. So it becomes interesting to know what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit and what is the baptism of fire and how different is that from the fire that is unquenchable that comes to judge. This is judgment he's talking about here, burning up the chaff. This is Matthew 25, literally, verse that one of separating of the goat nations from the sheep nations. And so, that's a very powerful thing about the Holy Spirit that I wanted to introduce before we go. We're going to fall into it in a big way. It's a big chapter ahead of us here. A big segment if we have time today. There are three types of baptism presented there. And the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So through His works, we're going to see, can we be able to understand Him? Because he doesn't speak about himself. He's so concealed and so secret. He never talks about himself. He's very quiet. He does not. He is the most unrevealed. He only comes and walks and lives. And he's designated in those nine forms. Nine forms. Probably if I read the Bible more, I'll find another form also. And so it's amazing. The, the mystery around, uh, surrounding the person of the Holy Spirit so can we begin by looking at, we're going to get into that later, but looking at the Holy Spirit, the wind of God, the Holy Spirit as wind. And again, back to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 3. Now, this chapter is a little uh, long, but we'll man, within the time. The book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 3. Acts, chapter 2, verse 3. The book of Acts chapter 2, verse 3. He's talking about the Holy Spirit in this designation. When the Bible designates the Holy Spirit as wind, it came as a violent wind. It came as a powerful wind. It came as a wind blast, a tempest. The book of Acts chapter 2, verse 3. And he says, they saw what seemed to be... Okay, we, I think we begin from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Then verse 2 is, verse 2, surely it's verse 2. Suddenly a sound, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then he goes on to say, now the fire, he says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All the men were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Very powerful. So you see now, at that point they're already anointed. But there is a very powerful dynamic there, a serious dynamic that we need to bring out. It said, as a violent wind, Meaning, coming to disrupt man's order, the order of man. 
to deconstruct the spiritual environment there. And then to reorganize according to God's order. But as violent wind, we now see that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit coming as violent wind. In John chapter 3 verse 8 we saw already when he says, unless a man is baptized of water and the Spirit, they cannot enter eternity. Which means, he's talking about the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit that comes when one is baptized, that regenerates the soul of the repentant sinner that has repented. Now a believer. And it's amazing because he does so. He regenerates the soul, that soul, according to how he chooses himself, according to his will. Whether to do it, on whom to do it, when to do it, all that, he controls that by his will. And in First Corinthians chapter 12, as we build on, First Corinthians chapter 12, beloved people, verse 11, First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, he still talks about the Holy Spirit as the wind. And we're seeing if we can catch something about him there. Some features, some identities about him through um, this designation based on his action. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, he says the following. He says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Have you seen that now? According to his will. Verse 7, if I started, he says, Now to each one of the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous power. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And He gives them each, each one of them, just as He determines. So that is very mysterious also. He has, he has not revealed how He determines. He has not said how He determines who should get which, because it's very concealed. But you see, as wind, you can see that there are some things we can pick from there, because the wind flows. So he's he's saying that the Holy Spirit is so, is in effect secret, concealed. The person of the Holy Spirit is subtle. But he's saying his power and authority can be felt. So when he comes as a violent, powerful wind from heaven, which uh, Amplified calls tempest, you can right away see that the Bible is trying to demonstrate his power. And there's no greater generation now that knows his power than, than, than you, know, you, that the generation now, because 
the collision of the neutron stars that shook the entire universe. That is him. But you can see that in this wind also, the Bible is trying to, to, to deliver a message here that he is very powerful. He has great power and authority. He is also saying that he is unstoppable because the wind would blow whatever way it wants. You put a block, you climb over it to flow. It would always divert it to push, you know. Meaning, the Holy Spirit is not, you cannot put resistance to him, irresistible. Hmm? And I think the whole thing, the whole picture being portrayed here is that he comes to destroy the structures of Satan that are in the hearts of men. The structures of Satan. And still as wind, as wind, and I'm going to read a little bit more scriptures for you that you may understand even the diverse forms, diverse, the diverse forms of the Holy Spirit in wind, as coming as wind, which is amazing and deepens the mystery, Father, the mystery surrounding the Holy Spirit. He says, the wind can be heard. The force of the wind can be felt, like they heard the wind coming from heaven. They heard the wind blowing into the room. The force they felt, but they could not see. So we cannot see him, except now in a different form. Now this generation has seen the Holy Spirit. This generation has seen God the Holy Spirit in one form that we're going to look at later next time when I come back from Spain, from Barcelona. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the form of the dead also. This is one of the forms. But this generation has now recorded on video, on TV cameras, and they are, they are now able to view, to see. That's why everybody is repenting for seeing him. That's why the whole country, those who are abroad may not understand. This land is a land of revival. The souls here have been awakened. They are very sensitive. When they saw, they just fell down and cried and repented. All The whole land was repenting. Even the young men that was going through the library when he discovered the first thing he did he knelt down and cried to the Lord he said Lord forgive me that I've sinned then he wrote a text saying that I repent this is the clip but I repent that I've discovered this so the wind you can hear can be heard the force can be felt but you cannot see but this generation has now seen the curse but in the wind, this form of the wind. And it's not known. You don't know where the wind will come from or where, you know, it will end from. Where his dominion begins and ends. And the wind is totally unaccountable to anyone. The wind just goes, it does not come back to account to someone. It just goes as it free wills. Unaccountable. And so, undiscernible. Uh, hmm? The wind cannot be discerned. You can't discern the wind. Huh? You can only feel the speed or measure speed. It's going this way, and then it changes, goes this way, whatever. But still, that is a mystery. It cannot be understood in this life. So he's using this to say that the Holy Spirit is very secret. He's very, very secret. And if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, Still, this form that the Bible presents as wind 
Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 says, and Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's very amazing. They heard. They heard the sound. They heard the sound. They, they heard the sound, the wind. The wind brought that sound. Of God walked. Genesis 8 verse 1. They heard the sound and they ran away. It is the wind they heard. Again, Genesis 8 verse 1 it says, But remember Noah, but, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the earth. And he sent a wind over the earth and the water receded. Again, you see the different form. The Lord sends the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, as wind to prepare the earth to push away the water and bring remission of grace now onto the earth for Noah to find a landing place to come out now. The Lord sent the wind. This form of the Holy Spirit is what the Lord sent. The book of Acts 2, 3 we saw. The book of Job chapter 33 verse 4, beloved people. Job 33 verse... We can read 4 to 5. The book of Job 33. Again, Job 33. So you see, beloved people, it's so powerful to see the mystery. To behold the mystery. The mystery that the Holy Spirit is. And I say it, by studying and reading the Bible on his different forms, then probably you can get a glimpse and understanding. Yes, this is how the nature of the person who God is different. But situations really within the Godhead, the three members of the triunity of God, he is the least revealed. In fact he's totally confused. So Job chapter 33, blessed people, Job 33, he says in Job 33, you see now again the Holy Spirit coming as wind, being sent as wind, but you see a function. You see a different function, which gives a greater understanding again, an understanding about the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Job chapter 33, verse 4, he says, The Spirit of God has made me, you see, Creator, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. That breath is the wind that the Lord blows into the nostril. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord has created him. So it's just such an amazing situation, beloved people. And he says, in Amplified, it is the Spirit of God that made me, which has stirred me up, and the breath of the Almighty that gives me life, which inspires me. So you see that. Again, now presenting him, presenting him as this wind, in this form of the wind, the person of the Holy Spirit, but you see a totally different function now creation here. In 
the, the, the law one we read, you can see, he had come out to go and bring remission to the earth. No wonder, I don't have time to go into that now, no wonder Noah sent out a dove that brought out some olive leaves. You see, that, that was all symbolic though. However, here we are talking about the fact that now he is the creator here and he brings, he brings life. So he's so humongous, he's so mysterious. He is the creator and he's the one that brings life. The book of Ecclesiastes, 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 if we can get to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 6, same. Chapter 19, verse 11. Let me begin with that as we navigate our way to Ecclesiastes. First Kings, chapter 19, verse 11. Same thing. You see him coming in this form, designated form, but is performing another function. So, how mysterious is he? He is very mysterious. And then he does not speak about himself. He only says what he has heard, and he comes to speak for Christ the Messiah. How powerful. First Kings chapter 19. Okay, it's First Kings. First Kings 19. First Kings 19. Verse 11. I'm going to read shortly once I get there. First Kings 19, 11. First Kings 19, 11. Look at what he says here. Kings 19, 11. He says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then he says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and so forth. You see now, the Lord passes. After the earthquake, there came fire. Fire then came in a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard, you know, then he goes on to describe this mega, mega visitation. I have gotten involved in this visitation, dear beloved people. When I stood at the cliff, tremendous, tremendous. I'm talking about in this mission here. Then, yes, but in this mission here, about 2003. But what I'm saying is that you see him now as this mighty, mighty wind that goes ahead of the Lord, that that brings the presence of the Lord. The mighty wind that goes like a harbinger, and the fire, of course, but I'm talking about the wind for now, that goes ahead of the Lord, and mega, mega, tears down the mountain, the rocks. The Holy Spirit has wind. So much 
searching for mission, beloved. And on and on, Ecclesiastes, if you get to Ecclesiastes, you read again, chapter 1, verse 6, the wind, when the Holy Spirit comes as wind, the Holy Spirit as wind. So you see, the, the diverse functions of the Holy Spirit, which reveal his, uh, his universal duty, universal nature. But as the wind, talking about the mystery, the mystery he is, that you can define him, you cannot touch him, rather you, you, you can only feel him, you will not know where he comes from, where he goes, there's no accounting of uh, where he feels the whole earth, whether he feels the whole earth, you know, he just feels everywhere, as wind does. The mystery of the Holy Spirit, beloved people. I want to look at one more, because there are nine, I think the rest I'll look at when I come from, uh, from Barcelona. But uh, the big revival there. But for now, I also want to look slowly, a little bit gradually, over time, we can even do this later. But I want to look at the Holy Spirit as the rain. Rain. All of you now are aware about the Holy Spirit rain. You watched it in your churches. You watched the visitation of the Holy Spirit in your churches. As rain. The Holy Spirit as rain. And I want to turn to the book of Haggai right away. The book of Haggai, chapter 2. So that I may be able to underscore that form. There are many other forms, but you know, it's amazing that uh, it presents in many, many forms. The book of Haggai. Haggai, chapter 2, beloved people. Haggai chapter 2. From verses 6 on. Haggai chapter 2. Once I get it, I'll read it. Haggai chapter 2, we're reading from verse 6 onwards. And this is what he says, beloved people. And this is is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come. And I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Then he says, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Very powerful. I want to put it together with Joel and two more scriptures and then I'll be able to underscore it for you. I can add it with Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 10, beloved people. I can add in there Zechariah chapter 10 verse 1. There are many more scriptures about this. The Holy Spirit has reigned. So the Holy Spirit reigned that you see in Kenya here, 
raining Kakamega, raining in Joro, raining in Eldamaravin, raining in Chisi, raining in Lagos. I'm just hoping in Lagos they tapped it. They tapped that visitation and built for the mighty, mighty house of the Lord where the truth is dispensed and preparing. You know, it's very powerful to do this, to take advantage of the visitation. That's what Kenya does all the time. They they go through it. They talk about it on radio. They they they, they worship the Lord. They worship more. They fall down and repent over it. They, they, the way they behold it here, like treasure, is so powerful to see the gains. But the book of Zechariah chapter ten, Zechariah chapter ten, verse one, it says, "Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime." It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants the fields to everyone. And he goes on and on. But he, again, this is a very powerful scripture because in this scripture, he's talking about the Holy Spirit as rain. So there's much we need to read about in terms of the Holy Spirit as rain, there's so much scripture, we may not read all. Joel chapter 2, before I explain, Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, verses, verse 23, maybe 22, 23. It says, you could read all through, but Joel chapter 2, verse 23 says, be glad, all people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rain, as before. So, I'm just using this to underscore to you that the Bible presents the Holy Spirit as rain. And before we read more scriptures, so you really see that when he says the first rain is essentially relating to the anointing. The latter rain to the anointing. Now that is very clear in the church today. And he's talking here in more of a farmer's mind. The Lord is using the farmer's mind to be able to talk to the generation. He's talking to the generation as though, the, 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 in fact, he's describing the cycle of mankind, the, the, the spiritual cycle of man. That when you look at, for example, the book of Mark, Matthew chapter 13, is the same thing. There are many parables there about the farmer. So he's talking to this generation. He's talking to the church in agricultural terms, in terms of a farmer, a farmer's in, in, in farming term, eh? in a farmer's term. So he talks about the sower, the parable of the sower, the parable of the weed, the parable of the master seed, the parable of the weed revealed, and so forth. It, Matthew 13 is also very important. We may not read it here because this is natural. But in that conversation, what does not escape your mind is that he raises the first rain and the last rain. He raises the initial rain, the, 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 which is the first anointing, and the latter anointing. 
that you speak so powerfully to this generation in, 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 in the, to humanity in the sense of a farmer, a farmer that the human life, the spiritual cycle of human life is full, is like planting, germination, early rain to help that plant to germinate, and then he talks about weeding, maturation, you know, and then the latter rain to ripen, the, to mature the crop, to grain field. He talks in that way, in terms of a farmer to this generation, that, that even now the fields are now ripe, ready to be harvested. And he says the latter rain that has come now is always for grain filling, grain filling. It, in fact, it's amazing because sometimes you, you can try, you can try, farmers, farmers will rank for you the two rains. They'll tell you which one is most important. I don't know whether we're able to do that here. The farmers will tell you the first rain is good, the early rain is good. But they tell you that the spring rain, the latter rain, is most important because it's the one that improves you know, determines the quality of the crop. They say so. But I think both may be important also. But uh, anyway, the latter one is also extremely important. Maybe they have relative importance. Because it's the latter rain now that determines the process of grain feeding, the quality of the grain, the seeds that you will harvest. And the latter rain comes to now ripen the crop, to make sure the crop does its formation now, those development processes, growth has taken place now, it's filling, filling in, becoming quality grain and so forth. But that is what the Lord uses here to describe the spiritual life of man. And he's using the, the Holy Spirit as rain to talk about the Holy Ghost revival. That's why you hear of the latter outpour of the Holy Spirit, the latter rain then, in that terms of reference. He talks about the mightiest revival of the end. You can see it here. You can see now, you have just discovered that actually the latter reign of the Lord Almighty as promised in the Bible actually contains the first reign, the first glory, combined with the glory in the dispensation of the grace when the Messiah comes at Pentecost. And now another, the latter, he adds, the Lord adds, all of them, the cloud comes. The cloud comes, now the prophets of old come. Huh? It's bigger, it takes from the Old Testament, it brings, it takes from Pentecost, and brings, and then now, also the doing, the wonders, the walking, 633 cripples are getting up and walking. You know, because when one cripple walks, it was a whole chapter in the Bible, it was a whole narrative, a national discourse in Israel. So he uses this this uh, this assignment, this consignment of the rain to describe the outpour, describe the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit and his duty, his effect, or to the church. He says that the, the, the latter Holy Ghost revival, greater wonders and greater miracles than even what is written in the Bible. Then he says, the purpose is that many may turn their hearts may be convicted from the life of sin in the world and turn to Christ and repent and receive him that he may begin to do the good works in them, the works that we know, to purge them, to seal them, to strengthen them, to grow them in faith, to feed them with spiritual food, to redirect their course, to change their destiny, 
has reigned. And, and I'm reading the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Since the Holy Spirit has reigned, I don't know how much time we have. Well, we don't have much time. And I need to run. The Holy Spirit has reigned. The Holy Spirit has reigned. Maybe I may continue with this teaching. Even after lunch. But, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 6 all the way to 8. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 8. Still on this. Then after that we're going to read a bit of Isaiah. 6 to 8. It says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. So this is so powerful and uh, very... Um, complicated, because he's saying, essentially planting the church, he's planting men. He's planting men. And then he's watering them. He's talking about the Holy Spirit as rain. Hmm? He's planting men. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse 2. And he says, Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 26, which we've read before, Isaiah 26, verses 19 on, again, the Holy Spirit is being considered as dew, dew the rain. In some versions say the mist, which is the rain which is what the church needs. He says, But your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. For your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. You see, he's talking about the dew of the morning. The morning is near. The dew of the morning comes in the evening. When the evening, now the wind of the evening is blowing. Then the dew comes. Condensation takes place. The dew of the morning. The morning is the midnight hour. Again, still bringing the Holy Spirit as a precipitation of rain, as torrents. And Romans 5, same thing. So this is very powerful, beloved people, because of time I need to run. And, and you can pick from there on certain characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Why am I saying so? Because rain normally comes to dry ground. If you have dry plants somewhere that have been thirsty and dry for a long time, Rain normally comes to refresh them. In other words, give them new life, revise them. Rain normally comes as a new breath of life, infuses new breath of life into plants. So the Lord is using those terms to talk about the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the role of the person of the Holy Spirit in rejuvenating an apostate church, apostate nation, apostate people, to now come and rewater them. 
And then you will see them growing. The way plants now grow, begin to flourish, look green, look better. And I have seen the meeting, the meeting coming up in Barcelona. The Lord took me to his throne room in heaven. The Lord Jehovah, he lifted me up and took me into heaven, into his throne room, beloved people. And then the door to the throne room opened and God the Father walked, the Godhead himself. He walked, he walked toward the earth and on the other side, the back of the throne room. And then I saw the trees of life and it took his hand, his own hand, and he plucked the tree, the leaves from the tree of life. And he gave me those leaves. And he told me, these are for the healing of the nations. So I have seen tremendous healing anointing that is coming to Barcelona, coming to Spain, beloved people. And I see these cripples that will walk. I see the crippled people that will walk. I see that. I see there is this man he's a mature man he comes from a very bad situation a very very bad place I don't want to describe here but he gets up and begins to walk and there is a little baby I think looks like a boy walking following him also heels so he's walking like one but he was crippled but he comes from a very bad place I see him come from something very bad and all of you know what that means and then he gets up and walks and I tell them to fold some things away now. I see that. And I see a lady who is very, very thin. The legs are very thin, was totally crippled. She gets up and walks. So the Lord is going to remember the people who are suffering, the poor people. He's going to remember the suffering people. The Lord is going to remember his people who are suffering. There's going to be a big visitation coming to Barcelona. And it's going to be another refreshing time. Because the Spirit of the Lord is coming to now refresh the church, to infuse new life in the church, a fresher breeze, to rain on them so they may flourish and grow because the Messiah is coming. But can we talk also about the Holy Spirit as a river? And there's no better place, I, re I really need to run on this. The book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47 verses 1 to 6, the life-giving Spirit of the Lord flowing like a river. Ezekiel 47, beloved people. Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 6. Ezekiel 47. This is what he says. He says, the men brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, verse 2. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, he said the eastern gate, and water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and led me through water that was through, through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits 
and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. Verse five. He measured off another thousand, but now the water was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? So that's very powerful. He's talking about the life-giving spirit of God that would flow from the throne room where I have just come, where God the Father has just taken me to hand over those leaves on my left prophetic hand, the leaves of the tree of life, the leaves of life, that when one eateth, they shall not perish. They will live eternally. So, that river that flows from the throne room, if this river is talking about the life-nurturing spirit of God, that's why that spirit is going now to the four ends of the earth and rejuvenating, resuscitating the church, giving the church the life of God again affirming the wonder works of Jesus on the cross that restored access for those that repent access to the tree of life and you see that river if you have time you can also look at the river called uh, Pishon which was in the land of Havila at creation when the ark of the covenant was in Eden but John chapter 7 because of time I need to run because of time John chapter 7, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. This is what he says, beloved people. John 7, 7 to 9. And he says, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. I beg your pardon. 37 to 39. John chapter 7. This is what he says. On the last day, the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to the time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The other versions call it a river. Hmm? Hmm? Verse 38, for example, he says, He that believeth in me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's what he's talking about, rivers. Again, describing the Spirit of the Lord. And he's saying here very clearly that there is a river that flows. The Holy Spirit flows like a river. And his intention is to make tributaries, to to divert and enter the hearts of every single person that believes Jesus. That inside you also, little tributaries may come out to reach other people so that the whole earth is eventually overtaken by the gospel of Christ Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, that the whole world may believe. That's what he's talking about here. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2. We don't have time, beloved. Revelation chapter 22, verse, verses 1 on. We can only read a few. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me 
the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the land, down the middle of the great strip of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its crop every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is very powerful because this just happened to me. Again, he's talking about the Holy Spirit as a river. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. So, you on and on, on and on, there's so much to read. Even uh, the book of John chapter 4, the woman at the well. So, the Lord is speaking in very powerful terms and revealing, attempting to reveal the person of the Holy Spirit. Next time when I come back, we'll look at the Holy Spirit as fire. But I just want to touch on one very important, Important aspect right now before we leave. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, Why? How, what is the role? How, what can we see when the Holy Spirit baptizes someone? He says, It essentially takes the souls of men and it dips them deep into the Holy Spirit. He baptizes them. Then the life giving Spirit of the Lord which is the source of holiness, the source of wisdom, then begins to nurture that soul, the repentant soul, someone who has just repented, someone who has just received the Lord. And then he says, the fire now, the incinerates, begins to destroy evil from the repentant soul. And stepwise, working in progress, to conform the soul to the image and likeness of God, taking it away from the affections of the flesh, and the passions of this world, the moral decay. And he says there is some suffering that will be involved, always will be involved, in that purification. Because when that soul gains contact with the Holy Spirit, he says there is a purging that takes place. Why? Because the fire of holiness is consuming the, the, the innocent soul, the, the soul that has just received the Lord and is now repented. And at the end you get a holier, righteous, shinier, precious soul. But we know that even from Pentecost, that the disciples of Jesus were baptized at Pentecost. And when they were baptized by the Holy Spirit, He had promised them. Then you see the tongues of fire. That tongues of fire was, was, was displaying what is happening inside their soul. The incineration that's going inside their soul. At the same time, the Holy Spirit was also working inside their soul. The two forms of baptism. We have the first one, baptism in water, and then the two forms of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God then creates desires. When you now desire God, you have only God's desires, godly desires, beloved people. Again, I've said as we finish and wind up that the Holy Spirit is very important in the Christian life. And you need to be asking yourself, am I baptized in the Holy Spirit? Am I sealed with the Holy Spirit? Why? Because he says the Spirit of the Lord essentially creates this great desire for God in a repentant heart. And I'm reading real quick the book of Luke chapter 24 verse 30, 32. Luke 24, 32. And real quick, all of time. 24, 32. 
This is what he says. They asked each other, again, Luke 24, verse 32, he says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When he was walking with them, they got to know that this is the Lord. But their hearts were burning. So that is the kind of burning of the heart that the Holy Spirit creates in your heart. When you long for the Lord so much, your heart is burning for the Lord, for the things of God, for righteousness. Nothing else. Only that your heart is burning for. The book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 31, he says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Look at that now. So you see that the Spirit of the Lord, in that way, purifies the soul of the repentant person. We're going to get the book of Titus, Psalm 66. But the Holy Spirit sanctifies the repentant soul. Justifies the soul and then sins the soul. Now you see, there is sanctification and justification, beloved people, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. But real quick, there are some two similarities I want to run through. In the next five minutes, the book of Exodus chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 2, real quick. Some similarities I want to summarize with here because you're about to get your offices. Exodus 3. Exodus 3, beloved people. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. This is what he says. Again, I can start from up there. He says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert when he came and then came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared. That's our target. That is our scripture. There the angel of the Lord appeared in flame. That's now the Holy Spirit as fire. From within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So that's very powerful. So you see now, he comes to him as fire. So I'm beginning to introduce what we'll see when I come back from Barcelona. Um, where the, the Holy Spirit as fire, the Bible presenting him as fire. We've seen how the Bible presents him as rain, as a river, as wind. There are nine, there are nine, there are more. You know? That's just how mysterious he is. But if you take that scripture, when the angel of the Lord appears to him in fire and tells him, you can see that, do not come any closer. Gives the first instruction, verse 5, do not come any closer. Then you quickly run to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 3, to compare those two. The book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, Acts 3, verse 2, where he says, Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate. Again, the book of Acts, chapter 
three, the book of Acts chapter two verse three, beloved people. Slow down a little bit. The book of Acts chapter two verse three. And it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and kept each of them in that room. Remember, they were gathered with all the women and so forth. The disciples were there. And there was a promise, don't leave Jerusalem before this. But again, Moses also sees the flame. And then they were confined in the upper room, waiting for what was promised by the Father. Christ had promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. He would ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. So Moses meets the flame by Horeb. And then now, here you go now, the disciples, the fire also lands on them. And it's amazing because Exodus 13 verse 21 explains what I want to say uh, before we finish. The book of Exodus 13 21, real quick because of time. Exodus 13 21, this is what he says, dear beloved people. Real fast. He says from 20, Exodus 13, 13 20 on, he says, after leaving Sukkot, they encountered a thumb on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel both by day and night. But then, Acts chapter 1, 8, before I explain it, then you run to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and now you understand the entire picture. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, what was promised them? Acts 1 8, and he says, 1 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the outer, the ends of the earth. So again, he's saying that the fire that fell in front of Moses when the God had visited, the Spirit of the Lord came as a flame. And the fire that fell, that fire, he says, later the children of Israel come there. And he comes by fire on that mountain again. And then from that point on, he walks with them everywhere throughout their journey. And also at Pentecost now you see that the fire that descends, then now he's saying that you shall be my witnesses from Jerusalem, and he goes all the way to Judea, the whole of Samaria, all Judea, and the ends of the earth. Again now with the church. And we know very well that Pentecost came 50 days after this visitation. In other words, we're saying the people of God were led by fire by night. And in the day, the smoke, the cloud. And right now also, the people of God are being led by fire. On this journey here. Matthew 28, as he finishes on this journey. 28, verse 20, verse 20, Matthew 28, verse 20. And he says the following. On the commissioning statement. With that fire that came down. And there is even a bigger fire falling right now, beloved people. If anyone has eyes, they have noticed. 
8, 16 on, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So again, the, the journey, after encountering him, the church now is able to walk with him until she enters. When the Israelites encountered him, they walked with him. So the Holy Spirit coming out fire talks about the strength of God, the massive force of God. We are going to see the power. And we are also going to see the judgment, the divine judgment that comes with that. And to finish, I'm reading Exodus 19, verse 10 to 20. Well, okay, I may not finish 20 because of time. But you can read it on your own. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and read and, and ready and be, and be ready on the third day. Because on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of, in the sight of all the people. Verse 12. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain to touch the foot of it or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Verse 13. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows not by hand, not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds as long as the blast, you know, and then you go, verse 19, when the Lord now comes down. He says, on the morning, on the third day, there was thunder and lightning, verse 16, with thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out to the, out of the camp to go meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke before the was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in and covered it with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. Again, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up like smoke. The smoke billowed up from it, from the fire, like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. We know that the Lord has spoken a tremendous visitation of this kind that is going to take place. When he said, you talked to me aloud when all people are hearing. And I don't know why I felt in that conversation that some people were able to record, which is very shocking. And I asked him, is it right that they have recorded? And he said, it's good. But this is a shocking thing that is happening here. Fire descends on that mountain. So, again, the Spirit of the Lord comes down like fire. And this is a whole long conversation when he comes down like fire. 
to bring divine justice also. But the reason it comes down like fire is because the Lord, if you read Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter chapter 4, verse 24, if you read the book of uh, Hebrews, uh, it, it tells you that the Lord is a consuming fire. Consuming fire, beloved people. And so, in the different workings of the Holy Spirit, it is, yes, indeed possible to begin to piece together the nature of the person of God, the Holy Spirit, stepwise, step by step, in the different workings of Him. It is possible to envisage, to begin to build forth a picture of the person of the Holy Spirit in a stepwise process, beloved people. In just the way he works, it is possible to detect. But you can see the per- the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, as you have seen in the nation today, is the most mysterious and the most hidden, the most concealed of the three members of the Trinity. And he has so much power. He brought Christ Jesus, and then he resurrected. He empowered his ministry and resurrected him from the dead and raptured him into the kingdom of God. So please, embrace him. But he will never talk about himself. So you will always remain concealed. May the Lord bless you, beloved people, as you go back to your workstations. May the Lord keep you, make sure salvation, you lift up the banner of salvation in those offices, in those homes where you are, in the university for students, uh, lecturers, and uh, teachers in staff rooms and classrooms, make sure you raise the banner of the holy salvation of Christ. Because this is a beautiful scenario that the power we have been given can shake the universe, can resurrect